Hello and welcome to the Alpha Trials podcast. If you're a tech manager, you'll find plenty of useful insights and practical tips to help you navigate your new role with confidence. This podcast is all about sharing efficient techniques, best practices, and stories from successful tech managers. I'm your host, Alex Kuzmiuk, Senior Technical Program Manager at one of the biggest tech companies in the world. Today, everyone is talking about AI and how it will steal our jobs. I'd like to take a step back and understand the basis of modern AI developments, the knowledge. I want to shed some light on how individuals and organizations manage knowledge and what are the challenges in this process. Also, we will talk about the future of knowledge management and how AI would challenge the status quo. To talk about this topic, I've invited Dmitro Nekrasov, R&D manager who draws inspirations and ideas from contemplation of the universe in its majestical manifold, from smallest particles to superclusters of galaxies. Here is our discussion. Hello, Dmitro. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you for joining. Hello, Alex. Glad to join you as well. Uh, so today we will talk about knowledge. How do you think uh, why knowledge is important and what is so special about knowledge management? Well, that's an um, extremely broad question. And the, probably the answer is that, that knowledge is uh, like cornerstone of, of life and not only like human life or humankind but rather all living being uh, in the whole universe. Yeah, that's, that's probably a, like a bold spoiler to, to our discussion. Let's probably um, try to uncover this mystery uh, bit by bit. Okay, um, so can you tell us what, is, what was the first knowledge in the history or what was the first knowledge on the planet Earth? Well, uh, let, let's define what knowledge is. So basically, um, we need to understand. So there, is, there should be a subject uh, that perceive something in some in some way. And um, when we're talking about the subject, we might think about at least animal or mammal or bacteria. But what if we can consider a gene, like a minimum viable entity to actually to have knowledge and to use it um, to, to its own favor. Okay, so, so gene was the transport which allowed knowledge to be transferred from one uh, entity to next entity. That's um, <clears throat> what if we consider genes as a, like as subject with probably with even their own not will but the purpose what if we as like human beings or or just living beings we are just a transport for genes and genes is just a transport for knowledge what if what we what we see around us uh, built by by humans right by by applying their knowledge and uh, the human being itself is also the expression. Basically, it's like emergent um, 
emergent feature of knowledge. So we don't only possess knowledge, but we, we are knowledge that are sufficient enough to live and to survive in this particular area on the planet Earth. So basically knowledge um, manifests itself in us, in what way? So consider, in order to, to live, we need to consume food to try, like to uh, via metabolism. We extract it. We extract energy. We transform it in like in many forms. Mm, and the idea is to do that. We need some basic instructions. Our body needs to know, to basically to have knowledge, how to do that in the most proper way. And for living beings, for to evolve from like cyanobacteria uh, to us, to humans, it required a lot of knowledge gained, lost, and proved to be wrong and proved to be right. Because what, what is important, knowledge creation, knowledge transfer, that should be relevant. It should be relevant to this particular circumstances. Consider the evolution process. So we have like bacteria, they like the bacteria that start to collect more knowledge about the let's say temperature or lightning or whether the water is salt or not. Mm, they manage to survive and to prosper. So the more knowledge and the more accurate knowledge they absorb, the more successful, like in general, they were. Okay, so basically you're saying that we as a human, we are ultimate machine to transfer the knowledge. Um, at this current moment, yes, but we have a competitor now. What, what are you talking about? So, uh, like competitors, we can consider at least like two major class of subjects. One of them is like artificial intelligence. Currently, like... AI was just a buzzword. There was a joke. What is the difference between machine learning and AI? And the, and the answer was like, if it's written in Python, it's machine learning. If it's written on the presentation slides, it's AI. Yeah, it was a joke. It's, yeah, it, it was funny. But now AI is becoming more and more real. Uh, AI is just one instrument tool uh, that could help humanity to transfer and to process more knowledge and probably derive knowledge and probably explain something to us that is not uh, that easily understandable by, by our human brains, right? Some concept we don't even have words yet. Okay, and how how we evolved as 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 human beings that we uh, process knowledge in, in this way? Because like the knowledge was embedded in our evolution and in in our like uh, in the process of survival, right? If you know that it's dangerous to to go outside your cave, or other case, it's just just a time to go outside your cave to gather like some fruits or whatever else. Uh, if you know that, and if you can utilize knowledge properly, you and your family will survive. Otherwise, you will not. 
And like the first knowledge in like in like human history, probably it's um, like it, it's what parents told their kids about the dangers of the outer world out of their cave. Probably it was not in like in words. It could be signs, symbols, whatever else, or just like some uh, scarifying roaring, uh, trying to reproduce the roar of like wild animals outside. So the kids understand it's dangerous or, or not. It's, it's not dangerous now, so you, they can go outside and play. Your kids, they contain some knowledge about you, some uh, innate, imminent knowledge about how to, even about how to process uh, information, right? Because our brain, they are heavily dependent on the, on the like, genome we, we received from our ancestors. Speaking about the knowledge transfer, why, why we are so efficient? Again, it, we survive because of that. If we depend on this knowledge and knowledge transfer in order to survive, we become increasingly well in that. Thank you. And uh, when humans started to use knowledge for innovations, when humans understand that we can use this to create something principally new? Mm, I believe it, it first it happens like in prehistorical days. It's really hard to, to pinpoint a particular time. We can consider like how to, how to get fire, not just from the lightning, but uh, in the cave, how, how to do that. Uh, that's a major innovation, by the way. It's a major innovation how to not just rely on forces of nature to get something, but rather to, to create something uh, with your own hands or legs. If we are talking about uh, um, like our ancestors, monkeys. So if you, if you, if you try to, to use some tools, tools of trade, for instance, like sharp stones, it's also an innovation. And you need to understand how to do that in a proper way. And if some other tribes or pack or how to call like a group of monkeys, tribe probably, um, they get this knowledge and they understand it's, uh, if it, its value, the knowledge start transferring across uh, across the population at least uh, at, at least within within aerial so it, it's basically that's what probably that's what the first innovation when we start using like some tools and starting to not just rely on forces of nature in terms of like um, making fire and why other creatures as our animals don't do this a simple question it's a simple question a simple answer because they don't need to. Why? Why? Because, like, let's say, elephant, a dolphin, or whale, they are pretty... They, apparently they have intelligence, right? But they don't rely on tools and on innovation um, for their everyday life and for their survival. They just don't need it. The problem was that a human being is so like subtle and so weak that uh, in order to, to, to live and to prosper, um, proto-humans, let's say, they just had to do that. Humans are social creatures. 
Is this somehow enforces knowledge gathering, transferring? Yeah, I believe so. Because uh, and imagine the life in like prehistorical years. You, you you cannot rely on on just yourself in creating and maintaining in uh, your life and of course uh, your knowledge. Definitely, if you need to prove something. Not everyone can be like as strong as, I don't know, prehistoric Arnold Schwarzenegger. Someone is, is, is weak, but, but you need to prove that you are like, you were something. You, you deserve your, like, your portion of mammoths, let's say. And what, what do you do? You start doing what you can with your, with your physical ability. And probably you, you're gonna develop your mind, like elder people in, in tribes, they survive, not only because they care about like young generation, but they, they were like a valuable source of knowledge. What happened 20 years ago when there like some large uh, piece of ice just cross the road occasionally, and there is there were, was no way out of the valley. They remember that, and they can tell that story, and probably save the whole the whole tribe for, from extinction. Yeah. So socialization is a, is a key, definitely to to build to build the knowledge and to discuss it. Basically, when you discuss. Mm, because knowledge should be validated somehow. Uh, if you just create the knowledge on your own, you the only way to validate it is just to go out and try. Okay, so basically ancient tribes, they started to collect knowledge, transfer knowledge. So they literally started building some knowledge management system. Basically, yes. Yeah, so books probably was the first attempt to, to improve this or system, uh, make some system of it. Well, uh, I would not say it, like about books. I would say about like like some clay, uh, you know, blocks with uh, some signs engraved on them. And before that, remember the uh, drawings on the walls of caves. Yeah, uh, it was probably the first more or less historical attempt to to transfer knowledge, not verbally, but rather using some other means. So it's, it's, it's another media. It's not about like, I'm talking that to you, you know, you know, you have this knowledge and so you can transfer it only verbally. So it was like first social media. It was like first social media, I would say. Yeah. And um, let's jump into nowadays. How now we manage knowledge in our, in an organizations? I believe that in organization we are we are pretty the same like prehistorical creatures because you remember what is that tribal knowledge? It's a it, now it has negative connotation, but it is what it is. So within the organization we tend to create and to keep this tribal knowledge because it basically increases our power or power of the organization or the group within the organization. 
However, there are like other means how to conceal, how to hide knowledge. Uh, the question is like too simple access and too many information available. So currently in most of the organization, we have plenty of information, plenty of plenty of like raw data, plenty of information that we can derive from this data and a lot of like knowledge. So uh, bottom line, we treat knowledge in the organization in a pretty inefficient or suboptimal way. I'm not talking like probably there there might be organization probably like a, of a smaller scale, mm, not play this political games of withholding some knowledge in order to gain power. And here is where AI can really help. If it is trained and fine-tuned on the whole pool of knowledge available within the organization, probably uh, it will like break this artificial boundaries and artificial walls and uh, between between the departments, between teams, and simplify uh, the flow of knowledge and knowledge generation, and it will help us to derive more knowledge uh, faster. Okay. It doesn't mean we we can. It doesn't mean we will we will make better decisions, but it just simplifies the flow. Access and under access and uh, and understand what is important because like when I'm trying to to break through the my mind box right I have to literally open okay I I have filters right but even even within the end box important folder I have like more important dozens, dozens of emails and I need to open that and I need to to make a decision whether it's important or not, and how to do that, if AI can help at least with sorting those inbox items, not responding to them, but help to understand the topic, whether it's urgent or not, not just by looking at action required tag because it's heavily overused, yeah. Wow, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And you told about Tribe knowledge. Uh, if I understand correctly, this like a superpower, and at the same time, it's it brings a lot of risks because this tribe knowledge probably not well documented in some cases. Tribal knowledge, it's a, it's basically a weakness, right? It's a power, but like the coin has two sides. Definitely yes. Uh, what should we do with this? How can we overcome this? Definitely not not by trying to document everything, but rather to to understand how we can manage the organization better in a better way, so that um, the progress of individuals or teams not not rely on what kind of knowledge they hide from other team and trying to keep this knowledge inside. And be responsible for like for maintaining it. It's about like organizational structure. It's about how we evaluate performance. Uh, it's about how we measure value. Is it valuable or not? That's a good question. You can perform like like pack of demons, right? But is it valuable? 
and who measures that value? And is it available just right now or it will be available uh, in one year? And our KPI and OKRs, uh, it's, is it just a vanity metrics or, or like something that is reasonable and will help uh, the organization survive uh, and, and prosper in the future? But that's a completely different topic. Uh, we, we can cover it like next time. Uh, okay. And um, also you mentioned that like organizations accumulate a lot of knowledge, a lot of documents, a lot of uh, probably data. I don't know. What is the del delta here difference between data and knowledge and how data became the knowledge? Well, data first should become an information. So if the data is relevant to the moment, to the time, you can make a use of, of it. It brings value. We can consider it as information. Information, of course, it can it can be true or false. Speaking about knowledge, knowledge uh, means that information is like justifiable, right? So uh, you know, basically, you you know what you are talking about. Like it should be it should be true in a given let's say in a given conditions, and you must believe in that. That's what makes information like a kind of knowledge. To information became a knowledge. Is this process relies on human being? Is it involves someone to process this information so it becomes knowledge? Wow, that's a great question, and it. Uh, so, so the answer, the like, my answer is no. It's it's probably not justifiable, but I I believe in that. So not all all criteria are met. So again, about genes. Right, so they, it's not how human being, uh, it's not even consciousness, uh, doesn't have consciousness, but uh, it can transfer knowledge and it can make use of it. And it actually tests their knowledge against the environment. For instance, your metabolism, in order it to be like successful, it, it should have a knowledge about the environment and what what is available in this environment what is it like temperature you should expect what is the availability of food around you what is a typical what what do you eat do you have a means of like cooking the food because right now human is, is not in like a, a monkey anymore so we can't just eat raw meat let's say well, we can. But. We can, yeah, like carpaccio. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, but we are, we are not. Um, our we adopted to processed food. We're basically so we evolved to consume processed food, at least cooked, ter like thermal uh, processing, because it unleashes much more energy than uh, raw meat. Evolution somehow realizes. I'm not saying it like it's it's consciousness, but it realized by trials, a lot of trials and errors, and over a very long period of time, evolution come up with a with this blueprint, like Homo sapiens. Okay, so basically you're saying that we don't need humans to make knowledge from the data. Can computers replace us in this process? Uh, 
Well, the short answer is yes, but let's make a step back. There are cases where like to produce and transfer knowledge, any sapient being is not required. And like uh, gene transfer is, uh, is what I mean. It probably someone could, could tell it's not knowledge. It's not, it's probably rather information or awareness. And the difference is so subtle. So I can make this assumption that there are cases that knowledge can be transferred even without any sapient being. Do we need validation process for, for creation of knowledge? What do you mean by validation? If it's true at this very particular moment or it... But it's true for someone. Definitely. So let's imagine that artificial intelligence will create new knowledge. Uh, how? It is already, it is already doing that. Uh, but how we will validate this knowledge? How will, well, we will distinguish like fake knowledge from, from true knowledge? Well, uh, remember those hallucination of uh, GPT-3 and 4, where like some weird facts appear out of a blue sky. Hallucination. Hallucination, like some, why? Because like, it, why, why? No why validation. Hmm? No validation. Uh, validation puts limits, boundaries. So validation, speaking about validation, we definitely should do that in terms of when human create like some not true uh, knowledge, uh, it's not that easy to, to check that, but we still have uh, sources, we still have witnesses, we still have uh, a way to, to compare this knowledge with, with what, is, what is the consensus around this idea. And even if some AI system, probably super AI, super artificial general intelligence, can create a web of lies and trying to to cover the whole humanity, the whole main mankind with that, humanity as a whole, or like some individuals, will find a way how to counteract this potential threat. I'm not saying it's it's gonna happen. I'm not saying uh, like, but it's a risk, right? So, what is your mitigation? What is the mitigation strategy for, for that AI alignment initiative around the world? Like many, uh, many companies, individuals and governments are trying to basically put limits, uh, put some guardrails, uh, but it looks like you're, you're trying to raise a semi-god and it's your child. You don't want to kill it, at least now but it's definitely cap capable of killing you and probably the whole universe. Okay, okay. And let's return to artificial knowledge. Uh, so when it will be created, it still should be validated by humans. 
can somehow AI here innovate? Can it apply this knowledge to create some innovations? And probably for humans or for itself? And what are possibilities uh, here? Possibilities are endless. So basically, let's, let's take chip making. I mean, like Intel and AMD, they are already, already using this machine learning approach to actually to create new, uh, new processors and new layout for it. It's an optimization task, right? How to uh, deploy components of the microprocessor in the most efficient way using the latest technology. Uh, I mean, like two nanometers or, or smaller uh, in a way that it will have more compute capability, less power consumption, less power like emission. Etc. So human can like it can apply like its subject matter expertise, try to do that, uh, and even test that. But machine learning uh, and artificial intelligence can can do that much faster and try to make this like sort of experiments. But in this case, it's humans innovate using AI tools. It's not well, AI itself. Yeah. AI itself, like, uh, have a task. Yes. So, uh, human creates the objective, high-level objective. Yeah. Yeah. Builds the most efficiently out for the microprocessor, right? Uh, and it also like puts some limitations and like what what should be the TDP, uh, etc. And so on. Like, and, and within these boundaries, the artificial intelligence starting to like propose potential solutions for this task. This task is created by, by human, right? What if we put a more high level objective? So instead of create a microprocessor, create a, I don't know, some robot dog. And I believe currently uh, with the modern development of large language model uh, that are trained on tremendous amount of uh, of data and information, uh, AI is capable of doing that. So it understands that it should innovate. Objective is coming from Object outside. Yeah, but more and more high-level objectives uh, we will send to the systems, to the, to the AI, the more dependent we will um, become. Because we, are, we will operate on a higher levels of abstraction, let's say. Really good example of that. The first programmers, they operate with a like bytecode. Can you do that right now? Yeah. Well, you, you can, but for, for something more complex than Hello World, you will use some frameworks. You will not even operate with the like basic concepts of uh, the programming language. You go like one level higher. And now we go even higher by just trying to code something with like low code or no code solution or use GPT to generate the code instead of us. Sooner or later, we will not understand how it works. Soon we will forget how like diode works. Humanity will be capable of like interstellar travel, but the knowledge, like a lower, lower level concept will be lost for majority of humanity.
it will be just a just a concept um, or abstraction we will not understand how uh, how sync works because things like stuff that that's around us is becoming more and more complex there is a like weaponized complexity term so weaponized complexity is again it's like a tribal knowledge when something is is hidden from you deliberately in this case by complexity for instance how decisions are being made on a higher level of organizations they can't even like show this information but it can be so complex so many numbers so many data so many information that a mere human being just can under cannot understand that complexity behind this decision so uh can ai innovate yes is it good for humanity probably yes should we put in some guardrails to not lose the knowledge yes uh and uh, will we generate more knowledge than lose uh yes let's return to the topic of innovation um how we innovate actually uh, and what is the role of human uh, in, in this process Let, let's think about of some company which produce consumer electronics um, current trend that we need to deliver new products every two years i don't know your mobile phone is obsolete in, in one year next year you want next one and a market demands new features new technology better thinner more powerful at the same time uh, and what is the role of of human in this process of innovation and where ai can can support us well uh, i would distinguish between invention and innovation so basically what what innovation is how i understand it is a implementation of uh, inventions right so you invent light bulb but to make an, to make it an innovation you should convince people that it's safe to use. You can you 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 start producing it like in large batches. You build power plants. You uh, you basically not just invent the light bulb. You create an ecosystem around it, an ecosystem and uh, perception and uh, understanding what is used for, what is a benefit. That's an that's uh, an innovation not all inventions eventually become uh, innovations with inventions definitely AI can help because it can generate like uh, it can help with brainstorming definitely and the more complex AI system is uh, the more details and more broad the this field of solutions uh, could be Yes, but the innovation, how to actually walk all, all this path from the invention to the adoption, right? That's where humans, at least for, for coming decades, will dominate. We as a humans, we innovate on behalf of ourselves. We do not usually innovate on behalf of other species um, specifically. We do not innovate on behalf of mushrooms, on behalf of aliens. We have very special purpose here. And how artificial intelligence will behave in this case? Well, um, 
I would say that humankind and humans, uh, we innovate on behalf of other species as well. For instance, let's say about our pets, like dogs, we definitely create a new kind of meal to extend their life and to make us happier. So, of course, we, we are trying to innovate mostly on behalf of ourselves, but if something, some other species um, can make us happier, healthier, bring us some value, why not to innovate on their behalf or as a side effect, right? So we are trying to save our planet uh, from degradation, from eventually from dying. That's why we are trying to preserve like some rare species, and we are doing something like in order to pollute less, in order to utilize less non-renewable resources, etc. And I believe that's the case, how we can align our purposes and our objectives with uh, objectives of artificial intelligence. We need to show this value and this, that we are actually binded together. Our goals are either complementary to each other or they, they are at least pointing to the similar directions. So we're looking for a common, like common value that will bring benefit, benefit for both humans uh, and artificial intelligence. Today, tech companies are required to innovate every day. So customers require new products every two years. And how you can build a system or environment where this innovation happens and happens at predicted pace? Well, um, speaking about consumer electronics and some other kinds of innovation, well, it's nice iterative approach. Uh, it keeps the economical flywheel flying and spinning. Mm. But speaking about breakthrough innovations, it requires quite mm, quite different different culture. I would say the competition is a crucial part of this culture. Basically, if you are the only one team in the company that are working on this, uh, you're less motivated to achieve result quick and in the most efficient way. Of course, you can look at, uh, at your competitors outside of your company but um, internal competition also matters and also you can share ideas. You can basically try to come up with different solution for the same problem or trying to solve like several different problems. Yeah, it definitely will bring benefit. And is this competition, isn't it a waste of resource of company? Our resources are limited. Well, um, I would say um, it's a kind of investment. So you need to you need to sacrifice some resources in order to get results. Not all not all your investment uh, will make you more money. So this is the price you pay. That's the price you pay. Definitely, yeah, it's a risk. Okay, and let's talk a little bit about the future. So how we will manage knowledge in the future? And what is the role of human being in this process in the future? 
will we still rely on humans in this process at all? And do we need to do something with humans to enhance this process? I believe uh, our mental capacity will not be enough to comprehend what's happening. Uh, we talked a little bit about weaponized complexity, right? So the probably imminent um, characteristics, characteristic of our world, uh, that we constantly increase the number of interconnections, um, ideas, and uh, it creates value, it creates our prosperity, but it also creates a complexity. We use computers, we use a, like a classic von Neumann architecture, right? We rely on that right now, but in the future, I believe we will uh, use more like neuromorphic processors uh, that are currently being developed. Uh, by most of major chip makers. And the basic idea of neuromorphic computing is that you process and store information in the way that pretty similar to what is happening in our brains. 10, 100,000 times more effective than the current von uh, Neumann architecture. They will be available, I believe, in like in several probably two to five years, at least for, for some applications. And it will dramatically change the way how we process information. Now we rely on what? Now we rely on just gathering vast amount of data and trying to build the GPU clusters on the cloud and process everything there. With neuromorphic processors, uh, we will be able to do that uh, on edge. So edge computation, basically in your smartwatch or drone or uh, like smart glasses, whatever else. Okay. And before we'll end up this podcast, I would like to ask one more tricky question. How do you foresee our future in five years? Where will be in uh, with our technology advancements, and how humans will interact with machines? Well, um, speaking about interactions with other smart beings, um, I would say one of the most fascinating and important technological advancements uh, in the next five—I would say five to ten years will be our astrobiology uh, development, right? And I foresee that we can eventually confirm that we are not alone. I'm not saying about sapient life right now, but probably we will find evidence that somewhere on some distant exoplanet or exoplanets there are signs of life and uh, it will change everything it will change how we understand our place in the universe how we interact inside our society uh, what are our 
key beliefs and it will reshape the humanity. Even this basic idea that we are not alone, that is confirmed by scientific methods. And if we will see uh, some proofs that we cannot doubt, that we are not alone, um, that this will be the greatest change in, uh, in human history. Even more dramatic than, I don't know, invention of nuclear weapon, uh, book printing, and uh, internal combustion combined. And what consequences can this bring to us? That's what I cannot foresee. It will definitely change the dynamic of the social interactions uh, in our society. Because imagine a situation that we understand that humankind is just like one possible way of sapient life to exist. Probably, hopefully, uh, it will unite people of Earth. That's my forecast. Yeah. Uh, because we tend to unite um, against the unknown, against something that is pretty scary. And knowing that the universe is not an empty place, but it's filled with life. Probably it's sapient, probably it's not. Probably it's friendly, probably it's hostile. We don't know that yet, but it will bring, uh, I believe it will bring more unity and makes us humans great cosmic civilization. Wow, it's quite interesting forecast. So you expect that this will happen within the next five years? I would say within five to ten years, yeah, we will see some evidence of extraterrestrial life. Hmm, interesting. Let's meet in five years and validate your forecast. Deal. <laughs> okay, thank you, Dmitro, for, for this discussion. Thank you for joining me in this podcast. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. Thank you and see you. Bye-bye. See you. Thanks for listening to the Alpha Trials podcast. Please write a review at Apple Podcast and share this podcast with your colleagues. This will help me to deliver more great content for you in the future. If you will have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email them to address alphatrials.kuzmuk.com. You will find this address in the podcast description. Thank you.